from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday. We were all, many of us were off yesterday for Memorial Day. Those of you that were out there uh, braving the holiday weather, it was nice in a lot of places, really warm weather on the East Coast. Uh, thank you, thank you, I salute you, I salute you. If you were off too, I hope you had a great time with your families and friends doing uh, what we should be doing, right? Having barbecues, having cookouts. And if any of you guys have any good, close conspiracy friends that were saying, this year for the barbecue, you're not going to have beef, you're not going to have this, you're not going to have that. No, we had it all. It just was a little bit more expensive or a lot of it more expensive, depending on what you were buying because of inflation and whatnot. And, you know, less and less people are getting raises. And uh, there's a whole job situation. And we're going to get to that in a little bit in the top of the next hour with uh, one of our favorite economists. But I want to talk a little bit about a few different things uh, because obviously uh, there's a, a criminal investigation into Senator Bob Menendez. I want to get into that as well a little bit later. I want to talk about the 2024 situation and see what's going on. But there wasn't a ton of news, right? Uh, because, you know, they decide what they're putting out. It's funny. Isn't it funny how, like, you know, many Fridays we'll have these big news dumps and it's like, oh, my gosh, earth-shattering news. Trump did this. So-and-so did that. And then, uh, you know, from Memorial Day weekend, everything's good. Everybody's chilling. Everybody's taking it easy. Cogelo con bien, take it easy, right? Take it really, really easy. But traditionally speaking, and again, this is not the election year, right? We're still in 2023. But after Labor Day is when people kick their campaign into full swing. So it, uh, of course, comes with... um, with the territory that we're going to see more and more people uh, out there on the stump, on the Sunday shows here, there and everywhere else, uh, starting to take shots, explaining why things can't be done. And one of those people was Bernard Sanders. You know, health care is a right. You know, Bernie. Bernie never met a commie he didn't love. Anyway, Bernie Sanders was on Face the Nation and he says we cannot have four more years of Trump in the White House because he caused an insurrection. Listen to this. What do you say, Senator, though, to some of your longtime supporters who are frustrated because they don't believe the Biden administration's done enough? They may not share your view of how things have gone. And they're thinking about Cornell West or they're thinking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. What's your message to them as they drift toward those others? Well, my message to them is that we are living in an unprecedented moment in American history. Uh, Donald Trump is not only uh, a pathological liar, has not only helped wage an insurrection, if you like, to uh, prevent President Biden from taking office, not only is denying American democracy, uh, moving against American democracy. So I think at this moment, Bob, uh, we have got to bring the progressive community together to say, you know what, we're going to fight for a progressive agenda. But we cannot have four more years of Donald Trump in the White House. 
So we can't have four more years of Donald Trump. Donald Trump caused an insurrection, according to Senator Bernard Sanders, Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders, I think, is so dead wrong here. And I'm going to explain to you why. Because he's talking about how this is an attack on American democracy. Now, in, in its purest sense, right, democracy is majority rule, uh, you know, all in favor say aye, right? It's a vote. What has Trump done to affect any vote other than to request that there's a recount or to, to find votes that were missing and et cetera, right? He's done nothing. He's done nothing to change the way votes are happening. Uh, if, if electors from certain states decided they wanted to submit an alternate slate of electors, uh, I, I have no reason to believe this was done at his choosing. I believe this was done at their discretion as state legislature, legislators. So, but again, all that aside, there was no change. He made no change to anything. However, Bernie Sanders, who's an independent, and his friends in the Democrat Party have been trying to reshape reinterpret and redo the Constitution without actually redoing the Constitution, right? Because, again, the Constitution is not a living, breathing document, as many suggest, but it is a document that can be changed to um, withstand the test of time. And that's why women can vote. This is why African-Americans can vote post-Civil War, right? As changes happened in our country, we made changes to the Constitution. And uh, earlier this morning... I got an excellent piece in my email from the great one, Mark Levin, something he wrote himself, and it's on uh, theblaze.com, and I shared it on Twitter and the rest and Truth Social and the rest of the social media. But the headline, I won't read everything to you. I want you to read it because it's, it's really well written, and I think few people could have put this together. And as you know, the great one, Mark Levin, he's not just a great broadcaster, but he was uh, the chief of staff to the attorney general of the United States, so running the Department of Justice during the Reagan administration, and he points out that the Democrat Party's fetish for the 14th Amendment is a vile attack on our elections, and it's all directed at one man, Donald Trump. And he, he, he writes a little bit, and I'll give you a little bit of it. The modern Democrat Party has an unhealthy fetish for the 14th Amendment, one of the three post-Civil War constitutional amendments. Democrats are constantly and relentlessly trying to rewrite it to accommodate their political ends. And he points out that a couple of months back, they wanted to redo Section 4, but not, again, by taking a vote and changing the Constitution, but moreover, by just reinterpreting it in a way that benefited them. And that was Nancy Pelosi saying that we have to redo the debt ceiling and we can do it because of the 14th Amendment. And you remember Joe Biden repeating that as well, saying that they, they have this, this power, this authority. And, you know, it went to the courts or it was going to go to the courts and they said, oh, you know, what, we're not going to do that because obviously they're going to lose but it had to do with the validity of the public debt of the United States. Well, fast forward to uh, where we are now, and they're focusing on a different section of the 14th Amendment, Section 3. And Section 3 reads that no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, 
but Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such disability. Right? So a vote would require anyone that meets that criteria. Now, the word that's absent from this uh, quote from the Constitution is president. It talks about electors for the president and vice president. It talks about any of the civil offices in the military. It talks about the uh, state office holders, state executives. So tons of people are excluded from this, except for the most important one, which is, again, a constitutionally protected um, role, which is president of the United States. Fascinating, right? So um, Levin points this out very aptly, and, and he does an excellent job, and it's really spelled out really well. I can't do it justice by paraphrasing. I highly recommend that you read it. But the Democrats are now saying that president fits into any of these other offices. Meanwhile, it's the only office of its kind that exists, right? And there's only two things that people vote for federally, right, where everybody votes. These aren't like senators like Menendez, for example, where only – New Jersey residents can vote for them. So this has been a common theme, this misinterpretation of the laws, this misrepresentation of the laws and of crimes to make certain people, political enemies, look a certain way. This hasn't been going on forever, but it seems to be the new normal right about now. And it's something we need to be cognizant of. So we're going to continue part of that discussion as we move forward. I want to talk about 2020. I want to talk about the attack on Trump. I want to talk about all the polling data that's out there. Because despite all of this crazy, Trump seems to be doing well. Biden seems to be holding on but not doing as great. And I want to get to the bottom of the latest numbers with uh, pollster John McLaughlin, who's scheduled to join us. He's a pollster on Donald Trump's team. So uh, stick with me, folks. We're just getting started. We've got a, a brand new live show. We're live 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So I want to ask you the question I asked Tim Kaine uh, towards the end there. It, it is kind of shocking in a way that despite all of the baggage that Donald Trump carries, he's tied with Joe Biden right now. Yeah, I mean, George, when I looked at that recent poll, the Wall Street Journal, I, I said, oh, this could keep me up. And I look, the problem is and the biggest challenge we face as, as Democrats, I say we because I'm a Democrat, is that young voters, young black and Latino voters. So there you have it. George Stephanopoulos is doing an interview on ABC this week, just yesterday, with Donna Brazil, or Sunday, excuse me, and um, Donna Brazil, former DNC chair, and she's a contributor now at ABC News, and she says the biggest problem that they're facing is that young black and Latino voters are jumping ship from the Democrat Party. And you know why? Because they've realized this, this idea of working with Democrats and, and being blindly loyal to this party that's done nothing but continue to um, perpetuate whatever the status quo has been. So if there's been rampant poverty in black and Hispanic communities, that continues. And the only time they saw a break from that was when Donald Trump was in office because of his cutbacks in red tape, his rollbacks on regulations, 
and annual household incomes going up. So you look at all of that and you say, wow, Donna Brazil, looks like you have a problem, an El Trumpito problem, right? Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, he's very popular amongst Hispanics. I saw this rap video, two of them actually, over the weekend, where uh, rappers, black and Hispanic rappers, were, were, you know, rapping about free El Trumpito. And I was thinking, hey, where'd you get that term? But anyway, the bottom line was it's great to see the streets um, really representing here for something that they believe in. And last time I saw this was for Obama. So I think it's remarkable to see that they're out there for Trump. Trump is uh, is leading. I think he's up by 60 points, according to the latest Wall Street Journal poll. And saying he's the top choice for nearly 60 percent of uh, Republican voters. And again, this is a poll that came out on Saturday over Labor Day weekend. So I want to bring in um, one of President Trump's pollsters, but he's a tremendous pollster uh, in his own right. He always has been John McLaughlin of McLaughlin Associates to help us break it down. And I want to pick his brain a little bit. John McLaughlin, welcome back, sir. That's great to be back, Rich. You bet, brother. I hope you. How was your Labor Day? It was good. We were working over the holidays. So. <laughs> Very laborious. Yeah, gotcha. Yes. Well, let's talk about this Wall Street Journal poll, because obviously, you know, it's I get excited as a, as a partisan, as an opinion commentator. I love to hear the Democrats get a little nervous there when you have Donna Brazil saying, well, man, black, you know, black men and Hispanic men are jumping ship. Uh, and Stephanopoulos saying, I can't believe this guy's tied with Biden and blah, blah, blah. So, I, I mean, it's always a, a breath of fresh air. Oh, albeit early in the game, I still I still appreciate hearing that. But uh, what's your take on this particular poll? Well, the Wall Street Journal poll that came out over the weekend had uh, Biden and Trump tied among registered voters. And there's a big difference between likely voters and registered voters. Most right. of the polls on the average of the real clear politics, virtually all of them are registered voters. And so they'll call anybody who's a registered voter, most of the times they know who they are because you've got voter lists, you have databases. Now, we published a poll just the week before uh, where uh, it was it was completed right uh, after the announcement of the Fulton County indictment, the fourth indictment of President Trump in five months. And it was uh, right the day we completed the day of the uh, Republican uh, debate for Milwaukee. And we did a thousand. We do this every month. A thousand likely voters. Where not only do we call them if they're a registered voter, but we ask them how likely they're going to vote because there's basically 90 million eligible voters who are out there that don't vote. We had 160 million show up in 2020 for a record, and uh, and there were still another 90 million people who are eligible that didn't vote. So the reason I'm stressing that is because we had Trump had 47.43, and and Trump was never ahead in the national popular vote in 2016 or 2020. It was always a it was always a battleground state uh, play among the 17 swing states, and we were hoping to have an electoral victory, which we were able to do out of a out of 139 million that were cast in 2016. We won uh, enough electoral votes based on 78,000 votes, 44,000 in Pennsylvania, 22,000 in Wisconsin, 10,000 in Michigan. So we won an electoral victory. And in 2020, we lost by an even closer margin of, of those swing states where uh, we lost uh, about 11,000 votes in Georgia, 11,000 votes in Arizona, and 20,000 votes in, uh, in, in, in Wisconsin. And 
And now, both those elections, we're trailing in the national popular vote, and the national popular vote has four points down against Joe Biden. So in the poll that we just published that's on our website on McLaughlinOnline.com, it picks up where, in effect, it, or it sets the stage for what this Wall Street Journal poll has said and the other polls have said, that Trump, if the election were held today, Trump would win and it would be an electoral landslide, where not only would win, win those states that are close, because the battleground states in this poll, we in our poll, we have us Trump winning 49-41. And the model of that poll, there's actually 4% more Biden voters from 2020 than Trump 20. 20 voters, and instead Trump's ahead by four points. So mm. Trump has flipped it. There, by the way, there is, and this is what's freaking out the Democrats, they are seeing Biden 2020 voters move to undecided or move to Trump. 4% of them have actually moved to Trump, and they've left Biden. So, and, Are and those the, the way, black in, and Latino voters that Donna Brazil's talking about? Yes, and among in the black voters in the poll, we're at 21%. Trump had 8% among blacks in 2016. He got 12% in 2020. And he's got 21% in this poll. And it's not just my polls. There's other polls that they're seeing this where black voters. Um, and, you know, the strange part is they're getting feedback from, you know, particularly younger black men who are saying they know Trump's record with the first step back. They know him, you know, like the, the, his stand in favor of drug courts to give people a chance that weren't violent criminals to get out of jail, restart their lives, et cetera. And, you know, they see here's this guy who went to bat for them. And when they were when he was president, they were employed. They were their, their paychecks were more. Their wealth was going up. And here's this guy being mugshot. He's being he's being fingerprinted and mugshot, and they know it's all politics because in this poll, in our poll, 74 percent of all voters uh, said that politics had a role in all these indictments. That's among all voters. Sixty percent say Biden had a role that right. he's been, you know, he's trying to indict his political opponent. And uh, uh, so they're they're kind of, you know, they're looking at this and saying, you know, I'm going to vote for Trump. They're breaking away. They're leaving the Democrat Party because things were better under Trump. Right now, their 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 wealth and their, you know, people go to buy gas. They go to buy food. They're trying to. They're paying essentials with credit cards. So yeah, it's a tough situation. John McLaughlin, stand by. We're going to come right back to you, folks. We're on with John McLaughlin, pollster extraordinaire. Uh, he's w with uh, the head of the uh, McLaughlin Group and uh, McLaughlin Associates. They're a fantastic polling firm, and we're going to continue this conversation as to. How Trump is cutting into the Democrats' uh, edge on black and Hispanic voters. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. We're on with John McLaughlin from McLaughlin Associates. He's a pollster to President Trump. He's been a pollster for a long time. And uh, we're discussing a, a number of different polls that are out there. We just talked about the Wall Street Journal poll, but I want to shift gears quickly and go to a CNN poll that came out today. And it says GOP voters still maintain broad support for Trump. Uh, the, the lead holds with less than half of them seriously worried about criminal charges harming his 2024 chances. Again, that's a CNN poll uh, that brought that up. Uh, they conducted that with SSRS. So um, I find that pretty interesting. 52% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independent voters support Trump compared with 18% that are supporting the next uh, popular Republican, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. And uh, I think this is uh, very notable, right? Uh, only one of these guys has been indicted four times <laughs> and is constantly being told that we can't have him. He's a threat to democracy. He's this, that, and the third. And it just, uh, for me, it's it's great to see how uh, the Trump campaign is 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 creeping into some of the Democrat enclaves and peeling off some support. John McLaughlin, what do you think of this CNN poll? Well, I think their analysis, because of their point of view, that they come across, and they're like, oh, he's indicted, and his support's going up. Of course it's going up, because everyone sees his indictments as political. Not everyone, but... The vast majority of voters, 74 percent, as I said in our poll, say it's political. Sixty percent think Biden played a role in these indictments. That's among all voters. When you ask the voters, right, when you ask the voters, are these indictments just to stop running, stop Trump to run for president? In our monthly poll, August 23rd, uh, 49 to 38, they said it is. Republican primary voters, 74 to 12. Is this a diversion away from Hunter Biden and his scandals and the cocaine in the White House? Among all voters, they say it's a diversion, 55 to 34. Among Republican primary voters, it's 83 to 10. Is there a double standard of justice that they cut a sweetheart deal with Hunter Biden and while at the same time persecuting President Trump? Among all voters, they agree that there's a double standard of justice, 59 29. Republican primary voters agree 88 to 14. And then when we ask a question saying, should the voters decide on the ballot who's going to be the next president or should we, you know, or should it be Biden and the courts? 56 to 34, the voter, the majority of voters want to decide Republican primary voters, it's 85 to 10. So what you've got here is a point of view where Republicans are incensed that their leading candidate for president, who's beating Joe Biden in most of the credible polls, not just mine, but a lot of these, you mentioned the Wall Street Journal's tied. There's other polls out there that have Trump ahead, and they want to beat Joe Biden. And here's Joe Biden using his political allies in the Manhattan DA's office in the, uh, Fulton County with Fannie mm -hmm. Willis, who's a Soros-supported Soros beer. Yes. And you've got, you've got Jack Smith, who... Merrick Garland appointed the attorney general after the pressure from Joe Biden, the president, who said to him he needed, and this has been reported in the New York Times more than once, where he wanted to stop acting like a ponderous judge and basically indict Trump. So here's Joe Biden, the most corrupt president in the history of the country, because it's alleged he's taken not just millions, but tens of millions of dollars in bribes from overseas countries, a good bit of which while he was vice president, and multiple family members involved in this. Here's this most corrupt president, who's also a failed president because 67% of the voters say the country's on the wrong track. 
the the economy's getting worse, not better. Sixty four to thirty two. Um, Eighty three percent have been neg- negatively impacted by inflation. Forty five percent to the point where they can't make ends meet. And you know he's he's gotten so desperate that the only thing he can do to stop his opponent is to indict him. Is to is to weaponize the whole law enforcement system with the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, etc. And if he could do that to to Donald Trump, he could do that to any political opponent, or he could do it to any American. So voters are getting this, and Donald Trump is going up in the polls because when you look at the momentum in January in a field of a dozen candidates, Trump was ahead forty-three to thirty-one for DeSantis. Everybody else single digits. Now it's fifty-one percent in our poll, and like you wow. said, the Wall Street Journal polls fifty-nine, and DeSantis has collapsed to nine percent in our poll. Um, so, and one-on-one, Trump was beating DeSantis in January, 52 to 40. It's now 72 to 28 in our poll. So, uh, that Trump, there's no undecided. Trump would like beat DeSantis. There's no place for him to go. There's no message. There's no oxygen left in the room. And, and they had a Republican debate in Milwaukee and here's Fox News and, and, uh, um, Fox News and the RNC trying to embarrass Trump into going to the debates. Well, the next day he has to go get his mugshot taken, his fingerprints taken, because uh, Fannie, Fannie Willis is indicting him. And it's all politics. And the voters get it. The voters were probably like, why isn't, why aren't the other Republicans standing up for Donald Trump? I mean, one guy said he'd pardon Donald Trump. The Republican voters don't think he did anything wrong. I mean, these ridiculous laws that they're right. indicting him under. I mean, one has a 20-year prison term. It's from 1870. Another one has the death penalty. And it's like they, they, these laws were used against Civil War generals. It's like it's right. just, you know, for, for the wrong side. It was like this is this is just really un, un, it's outrageous. It's unprecedented in American history. And the networks haven't turned on the Biden corruption. They've not turned against Joe Biden. But when they do, he's going to have a hard time because the charges against him, have, you know, the House has proven he's taken millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars gone into his family from foreign interests, whether it's Ukraine and Burisma or whether it's China. You know, I mean, they're going and to keep going through after that. 20 shell corporations. Yeah, right. And he's got he's got all these emails. He's got fake emails. And so fake names. Like, yeah, the fake names. So it's 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 you know, it's like organized crime kind of. And here's Trump who didn't do anything wrong and they're just they're doing acrobatics to indict him to stop him from beating Joe Biden. And the bad part is, um, you know, that the Republicans you know, have to, you know, our resources are going to to lawyers to pay lawyers to keep our candidate out of jail because they're trying to make him the Nelson Mandela of America, which is unbelievable what Joe Biden's doing. I mean, it's like people are outraged by it. So, uh, um, so, so, I, so the voters, you got to give the voters credit to see through this. Trump's ahead in the polls. Trump's got all the momentum in the Republican primary, and. You know, if the uh, if the other candidates, the same part is if the other candidates, if they were ahead of Biden or if they were moving up in the polls, my guess is, you know, Biden would indict them, too. But uh, right now, Trump's his target. Folks, we're on with John McLaughlin, uh, the um, head of McLaughlin Associates, and uh, he's a pollster to President Trump. We're discussing a number of polls, some that he's conducted, others that uh, we're seeing. One of the ones I'm looking at is from CNN. 
And right in line with what you're talking about, John McLaughlin, 52% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independent voters support Trump, compared with 18% that are behind Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump is seen um, broadly as the best able to handle a wide range of issues. And again, this is conducted by CNN and SSRS, so not a favorable um, outlet, to say the least, but yet still the numbers uh, a jibe with everything we're seeing in all of the polls uh, thus far. And I want you to stick with me. I want to get an idea of your sense on the issues. I know people, uh, we talk about the candidates and which candidate people are with, but I'd, I'd like to know what you know your sense is on which issues are really burning uh, in the minds of Americans as we head into uh, the 2024 election cycle. So folks, stick with us. We're on with John McLaughlin, pollster for Trump 2024, and me, Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. We're on with John McLaughlin. He is a pollster to Trump 2024. He's advising the campaign with his um, mysterious uh, magical arts in polling. John McLaughlin, let's talk about the issues. Uh, what are the top issues that voters are, are facing? What's the most pressing from your view? Well, most voters are concerned about the economy. Um, there's roughly half the voters are concerned about the economy, and they, they, with inflation being the number one issue that's cited. And, it, you know, ironically for Biden, he's out there on this Bidenomics tour. In our last poll, we asked whether people are favorable or unfavorable to uh, Bidenomics, and only 22% were favorable. 46% were unfavorable. Only 34% thought Bidenomics did anything good for the country. 49% said it was bad for the country because it's inflation. Like I said to you, 83% of all voters said they've been negatively impacted by inflation, 45% to the point where they're having trouble making ends meet. So the number one issue is absolute inflation where they, you know, they wake up in the morning, if you have to go to work and get gas, you know you're paying 4 or $5 a gallon, which is more than the $2 and change that you were paying when Trump was president. And if you have to go buy food, which everybody does sooner or later, mm -hmm. you know, you're paying more for less. And a lot of people have had to cut back whether it was, you know, you can't have a steak at night or you're going to have to, you know, get by. Sometimes people are making a choice between gas, food or necessities for their kids. Plus, the, you know, your electric bills are going up. They're telling you you can't have certain electric fans. You're going to have to, you know, uh, you can't have natural gas hookups. And that's a clean energy compared to other energy. You've dropped, it's dropped the, the amount of uh, uh, carbon in, in the air and all that. It's just, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so you've got a situation where these voters that are, that are upset about the economy and inflation, they're voting for Trump. There's also, you know, there's, about 30% care about social issues like climate change and health care and education, et cetera. 
Um, and they're voting for Biden two to one, but they're only 30 percent of the electorate. And you've got the rest, the, the other quarter, are saying it's security issues, whether it's the border, whether it's crime, whether it's uh, national security. And they're voting for Trump five to three. So, so Trump's winning on a combination of economic issues and security issues. And Biden's still pushing a, a you know, a liberal social issue agenda, where, you know, they're they're basically trying to take control of your life. Where, you know, everything from they're going to ban if you if you have a gas powered car or electric or car or truck or SUV by 2032, they want to ban those so that you can only buy electric cars. And that just doesn't work for most Americans. So uh, only only seven percent. You know, it's when we ask people, you know, should the government decide or or we published this in April? Should the government decide or the consumers decide whether to buy an electric uh, car and or, or a gas powered car truck or uh, how do they respond SUV. to that? Eighty six to eight, they said the consumer should be in charge, not the government. And Is that likely voters as well? Yes, likely voters. So, you know, people people want to decide for themselves. They don't want to be told by the government what they what they have to have, what they're doing, and and people will make good choices. I mean, people will. People will, you know, they they will decide what they can afford, what they can't, but they don't want to have their lives, whether it's their utility bills made more expensive. Just think about people up north, the northeast, people, you know, parts of the country that get cold. When they start ordering oil, it's going to go up again for this mm-hmm. fall. I mean, for the winter, if you have a cold winter, um, you know, there's people like that, you know, they're just going to have to go without uh, other essentials because they're going to have to... Uh, Heat their homes, and and you know Americans aren't used to this because while Donald Trump was president, the country was growing, the economy was booming, and even after COVID, after the shutdown of COVID, we, we had optimism. We were coming out of out of COVID. Um, you know, the people that had taken the vaccines voluntarily, et cetera, they you know they they, they were optimistic, and then Biden. Biden became president, and all of a sudden it was economic pessimism. And you're also worried about national security because uh, it, Trump's actually been leading Biden in the popular vote ever since Biden surrendered Afghanistan two years ago. In September, two years ago, he wanted to be out before 9-11, and he just abandoned – He uh, surrender is the word. He really surrendered Afghanistan to our enemies, terrorist enemies. And China and Russia have made the most of it, particularly Russia, because that was a signal to the Russians that you can go into Ukraine and, you you know, Biden can't stop you. And you've had war there for a year and a half now. And uh, this didn't happen when Donald Trump was president. That's for sure. Yeah, 100%. Folks, we're on with John McLaughlin breaking it down for us. And John McLaughlin, everybody know where they can take a look at the surveys that you're conducting if they're interested in following you. How do they do that? Well, most surveys we do aren't published, but we do publish like a monthly national survey, and that's on our website. Plus, if our clients release surveys, we put them on our website on McLaughlinOnline.com. Uh, McLaughlinOnline.com. They can find the surveys there, and uh, you know, I mean, everything I've I've cited here on this call is is published on that website. Fantastic. Folks, give him a follow on social media. Keep up the speed with what he's doing. John McLaughlin, you're a gentleman, a patriot, and a scholar when it comes to this polling stuff. You're the man with it. I appreciate you staying up late with us. Well, Rich, keep getting out the truth and the facts, and uh, you can trust the American people to make the right decision. 
hopefully. Amen to that. <laughs> like, huh. as, long as, they know, as long as we're not being censored or as long as, uh, you know, they tell us the truth about what's going on with the, with the corruption in Washington, well, people will know and they'll know what to do. So we'll make the right decision. So uh, right now, Donald Trump has all the momentum and we've got to keep it going. Amen to that. All right, folks. Uh, John, thank you, brother. Godspeed. And we're coming right back with your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. All right, America, we continue our discussion on all of the hot topics of the night, of the evening, that were hot during the day and getting hotter at night. 833-482-5337, 833-4-Valdez. Let's go to WGDJ, Saratoga, New York, and check in with Jane. Hey, Jane, you're on with Rich Valdez. Hey. Welcome. Hey, Rich, how you doing? Um, yeah, Mr. McLaughlin, that's very interesting um first of all if you're going to compare oh dear compare biden to the mafia you, you don't want to insult the mafia that way um, <laughs> what i would like to know is um how can we be sure with all the illegals that are flooding in how can we be sure we're going to have um good numbers and have an honest vote when we do vote is is how can we take care of that and make sure that it's not yeah. going to just land landslide against us? You know, the answer is you, you really can't, right? I mean, because I think you have to take into account how that's always worked in the past, and that's always been a thing in the past, right? Um, you know, something I've followed for many years is uh, vote buying, and it's very popular in in Texas, and there are a group of. Um, older Hispanic women that many suspect work for the cartels that work in the border towns down there, like McAllen, Texas, and, and, and Brownsville and stuff, you know, along the border there. And they, they go by the street name of Politiqueras. And the Politiqueras have been investigated and arrested by the FBI for, for selling votes. And what they do is they, they either find dead people or living people, and they steal their mail. And they work in concert with um, corrupt members of the Postal Service where they can try and get the votes uh, ahead of time instead of being delivered to their house. They'll get, try and get a mail-in ballot. And, and then they, they control that vote and have someone go and vote in the name of this legally registered person. Now, some municipalities like New York City, and I'm sure it's not the first, to suggest that we should allow people to vote in non-federal elections because, you know, parents that have their kids in a school district should have a right to vote in a school board uh, election, even if they're not citizens, right? And they make this case. And the problem is that once you start letting anybody vote that may not be eligible to vote, but making the caveat, but it's a local election, it's okay, ultimately open the door for fraud. So is there an issue? Yes. How do we fix it? We have to stem the tide of illegal immigration, and we need every last person that believes in election integrity to show up and volunteer on election day because you know faith without works is dead right jane thank you for the call big shout out to wgdj folks straight ahead we're going to talk about the jobs report came out just a few days ago and we're going to get to the bottom of it with ej anthony from the heritage foundation don't go anywhere
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there's a bunch of interesting stories out there. The economy globally is uh, in an interesting position. And and one story in particular kind of stuck out at me. Uh, Authorities found a record-breaking 9.5 tons of cocaine in a banana shipment meant to go to 30 different drug rings. Uh, And this was in Spain. Spanish authorities found a record-breaking 9.5 tons of cocaine coming from Ecuador that was meant to go to 30 European drug rings. The large shipment was discovered on Wednesday, in a, last Wednesday, in a refrigerated banana container in the southern port of Al... I don't know I even know how to say that word. <laughs> but yes, that's where they found it, in Spain. Uh, Algericas is what it says here. And it's interesting because uh, the the big banana industry in Ecuador is now being threatened by the cartels. They're, they're losing a ton of money because they're mainly using these banana shipments to transport drugs. Go figure. And, you know, this, this comes as no surprise, right? You've also got the economy in the United States, more locally. Uh, Biden's out there, just like he was a couple of weeks ago, saying, you know, they made fun of my Bidenomics, and it's working, right? He starts this little weird, creepy whispering thing and saying that Bidenomics is working and a new jobs report is out. Now, again, there's mixed emotion on that. Uh, Biden is touting the jobs report while most Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck. And uh, I want to dig into that story a little bit before we get into some other stuff. I also want to talk a little bit about the um, BRICS um, coalition that is uh, seemingly gaining steam, but we'll get to that in a moment. But with respect to Biden and the jobs report, he uh, he spoke on it just before Labor Day weekend. I want you to hear what he has to say. As we head into Labor Day... We ought to take a step back and take note of the fact that America is now one of the strongest job-creating periods in our history, in the history of our country. We've added 13.5 million jobs since I took office, around 800,000 of them manufacturing jobs. We created more jobs in two years than any president ever created in a four-year, single four-year term. We did it in two years. So there he is. He's thrilled to pieces. Again, he's whispering, it's working. We did it in two years and four years and four years and two years. Listen, uh, I'm no expert on the economy. I'm only an expert on how much money I take home. And I know that um, you and me and many of us are not in the same position that we were before. I know that I think 69 or 67 percent of Americans saying they were better off four years ago than they are now. They're worse off now. And that's not a good look when you're talking about the economy. Well, E.J. Anthony is one of our favorite economists on this program, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's with us to break down the Biden jobs report. E.J. Anthony, welcome back. Well, Rich, thanks for having me back. You bet. I, I'm here either way. You're the one that's got to drink a little coffee and stay up late with us, so we appreciate it. <laughs> 
So let's talk about uh, you heard the president speaking about the jobs report. And again, like any good politician, he's going to tout uh, everything he can and spin it the best way possible. But when he talks about adding one hundred eighty seven thousand new jobs, is this the number that they were looking for? Did it surpass the expectation? Are we falling short? What's the skinny on this? Well, you have to remember that although the 187,000 jobs that were added was basically in line with expectations, number one, the expectations were were low. We are still far, far below our our pre-pandemic trend for jobs. In other words, we're, we're still not back to normal to where we should be. But on top of that, if you look at the previous two months, those reports were revised down yet again, which is, again, a really troubling trend because every single month this year has been revised down. We're to the point, I mean, this is just so statistically bizarre. Not only has every month been revised down, but by large margins. On top of that, there was a a benchmark revision done by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is normal, uh, but it was also revised down in a big way. So you put together all these downward revisions, Rich, and you basically have eliminated 30% of the jobs that we thought we gained. Just looking at the last two months that were revised downward, that knocked off 110,000 jobs right there. So in other words, 59% about of the jobs that were quote unquote gained in August were just jobs we thought we already had. That's not a robust economy. That's not a healthy labor market. And again, I just want to clarify, these are revisions that were made after the fact. So like me saying, hey, guys, I lost 40 pounds. And then two months later, I come and go, well, you know, I had to revise those 40 pounds. I really only lost eight <laughs> you know, or something like that. That's what you're talking about. Right. But but imagine imagine if you, you call up all your friends one day and you say, oh, my gosh, like, let's say every Friday you, you send out to, to your buddies how much weight you've lost that week. Mm-hmm. Right. I know this is a little silly, but just just work, work with me for a second. here. Yeah, no, I and appreciate you tell it. All your friends, you tell all your friends, hey, look, this is how much weight I, I lost five pounds this week. The next week, hey, I lost four pounds the next week. Hey, I lost another five pounds. But then all of a sudden you realize that something was wrong with your scale. Maybe the batteries were low. I don't know. But for whatever reason, your scale was measuring wrong. And you go back and you realize, oh, shoot, the weight I lost was only one pound or two pounds, Mm. maybe another two pounds. Except what do you do? You don't go and call up all your friends and say, oh, by the way, guys, I didn't lose anywhere near as much as I thought I did. You just reset the scale and now you go you hop on it the next week and you say okay here's how much i lost but you're not you're not announcing those corrections after the fact so what's happening with these jobs numbers is it looks like there's a really good jobs report and that gets all the media attention but then nobody wants to talk about the following month how the old number is getting revised down i mean this is big this amounts to 661 thousand jobs that we thought we had added this year that we simply haven't. Unbelievable. And I think this is a clearly problematic. How how is this just solely a problem of the media not being as curious as they ought to be being complicit with this cover up? Uh, because to me, it seems like I think they knew this right going into this saying, oh, it's this robust number. And then, oh, well, we, you know, I, on second look, it's really not what we thought. We saw this also with uh, the, the policy called the Inflation Reduction Act, where after the fact, they said this is, you know, um, should have better been uh, labeled, um, you know, a Green New Deal Act because 
this is one of the best pieces of legislation to support the Green New Deal ever. Uh, kind of just totally running away from the idea that it was designed to reduce inflation, which it wasn't, right? It, the whole thing was a ruse and a sham. And I feel like that's the type of political sleight of hand that we see coming out of Washington uh, time and again. Uh, am I just being overly suspicious or do you think, um, you know, we're onto something here? No, there, there is something seriously, seriously wrong, Rich, with, with the statistical modeling going on at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You know, to, to put it in perspective, uh, this many down, consistent downward revisions in the data of such a large uh, amount or volume, whatever you want to call it, is, is the odds of this happening are so small that statistically speaking, they're negligible. In other words, if I were to ask you, uh, you know, on a let's say we're in a we're in a statistics class, and the question was, what is the probability of this happening? The the mathematical answer to that would be zero because it's so small, it's so remote, it is literally written off uh, in in statistics. So the idea that that somehow everything is okay here and this is all perfectly normal, it's not. There, there is something seriously wrong uh, with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Folks, we're on with E.J. Anthony. He is an economist and research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We're discussing the jobs report and these uh, fake, phony fraud adjustments to the the previous numbers that don't put us in a great place and uh, setting the bar extremely low to say that, you know, we're meeting expectation. And I want to discuss that. We'll continue that conversation. I also want to jump into a little bit about the threat or opportunity that exists with the BRICS alliance uh, continuing to, to, you know, bang the pots and pans and make some noise, bringing a potential 20 new uh, or a, a total of 20 nations into their consortium. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, EJ Anthony, as well. Plus your calls and more if you want to join the conversation. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. More than 20 countries from around the world have formally applied to join BRICS, and several others have expressed an interest in becoming part of the BRICS family. South Africa supports the expansion of the membership of BRICS. The value of BRICS extends beyond the interests of its current members. And that is uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, he's president of the BRICS Alliance. He's the chairperson there. He's president of South Africa as well. And uh, it's um, interesting to see the growth, right? There's always going to be competition in the monetary marketplace, and they're trying to create this alternative currency to replace the United States reserve currency. And I often, I often uh, 
wonder about this because you get some people that are on the side of, you know, BRICS is going to destroy America. It's going to destroy the dollar. It's going to collapse our economy. You have others saying that this just creates healthy competition. It's going to get us, uh, you know, get us into gear. Uh, you've got others saying, no, the United States is secretly involved in this. And this is a good thing for America. I hear all sorts of crazy. So I want to get to the bottom of this and, and the most current uh, take on it with our guest, uh, he's economist and uh, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, E.J. Anthony. Welcome back. What's your thought when you hear this message uh, a week ago from the president of South Africa? Oh, my goodness, Rich. You know, we, we did this to ourselves, unfortunately. Uh, the, the Biden administration, uh, well, let me put it this way. If, if they were intentionally trying to destroy the dollar, I'm not sure what they would do differently. They have uh, seriously eroded its purchasing power here at home. It's down literally 17 percent uh, in, in just a couple of years here. And then abroad, in, in addition to the, the problems at home, uh, abroad, we are destroying the reserve currency status by by playing political games with the dollar, by threatening its apolitical nature. Uh, and, and as a result of that, people are less confident in the dollar. You know, I, I don't care where you stand on, on the war in the Ukraine. At the end of the day, it was a very, very bad move for the U.S. to confiscate dollar reserves that were owned by the Russian people and the Russian central bank. That was an absolutely stupid move. The morality of it aside, whether you think we had a right to do it or not, I don't care. It was a stupid move because what it did was it, for the first time ever, eliminated the dollar's apolitical status around the world. You know, this is something we didn't even do to the Soviets during the height of the Cold War. And as a result of that, you have countries around the world who are now wondering when the Biden administration is going to impose the same sanction on them. There are countries in Eastern Europe, for example, uh, that have a lot of pro-life laws. And the Biden administration calls those an assault on women and is demanding that those laws be repealed. And so those governments are wondering, are our dollar reserves at risk? You have countries in Africa who have who have put uh, anti-sodomy laws on the books, and they're wondering the same thing because the Biden administration says that such laws are an assault on the LGBTQAA plus ampersand pound sign, you know, the alphabet soup uh, <laughs> community. And, and so now they're wondering, are our dollar reserves also at risk because the Biden administration is already talking about imposing sanctions on those countries? You can go down the line, whether it's uh, the, the green energy agenda or whatever other liberal pro pet project you want to talk about. If you are not in lockstep with the Biden administration, uh, you have to be fearful of your dollar reserves. And, and so what I'm trying to say is that all of this comes together in the, in the eyes of foreigners to make them wonder, is the dollar safe anymore? Is it a safe place for me to store value? And the answer for many of them is no. And that's absolutely devastating for us because the reserve currency status is the mechanism by which we have exported inflation for 70 years. If we lose the reserve currency status of the dollar, that means 70 years worth of trade deficits all come home and they do so very quickly. That is hyperinflation. That's not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. That's what would happen. Imagine 70 years worth of trade deficits and budget deficits all coming back here. That's a lot of money. So now 
again, let me uh, just set the stage for you. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, I go to my uh, my family has a farm out in Pennsylvania. And I'm there and I'm talking with, you know, some family members and they're saying, no, you know, because the BRICS thing is good. These are good countries that are trying to, the U.S. is secretly involved. I'm thinking this is absolutely crazy. Uh, There's no way collapsing the dollar is a good thing. But uh, many people have attached themselves to the idea that the BRICS reserve currency will be attached to some sort of precious metal. They believe gold. And that since the dollar is fiat currency, that this is the only way to destroy fiat currency and bring us back to a gold standard. I think it's, you know, straight up uh, sipping the Kool-Aid of, of foreign propagandists. But I could be wrong. W- what's your response to someone that thinks that way? Well, I, I think there's actually a lot of truth to that, believe it or not. You know, fiat currencies are basically a way for the government to to secretly, silently and subtly siphon wealth away from the citizenry to itself. You know, to put in perspective just how much inflation is costing the average American rich, I, I couldn't believe this when I ran the numbers, but after double and triple checking it, it's true. Last month, the average American worker was paying more through the hidden tax of inflation on his hourly wages than he was in federal income taxes. In other words, inflation wow. today has literally doubled the amount of money you're having to pay to the federal government in your income tax. I mean, that's astonishing. But that's why so many people, you ask them today how they're doing financially, and they tell you that, that they are much worse off than they were just two or three years ago. That's why. Because all of that wealth is getting siphoned away from them. But there's no line item on your pay stub that says this is how much you're paying in the inflation tax. But it is there in a very very real way. And what happens when you back a currency with, with a precious metal, or, or frankly, any commodity, but precious metals have just shown throughout history to work very well at this. Right, uh, like when the, dollar had, when the dollar had a gold standard, it basically lost no value until 1913 when we created the Federal Reserve. And then from then until today, the dollar has lost 98% of its value. So you tell me, what would you rather have? Well, I would rather have a dollar that's attached to a gold standard, not the BRICS currency that's attached to a gold standard. I just I think America should be leading. And that's why I take exception when we're having these conversations. And I think um, it, it just seems like um, a road to to a, an unhappy place where we, we BRICS is the new the new um, reserve currency. But we continue this discussion the next time we have E.J. Anthony on because he knows this stuff better than you and me both. Folks. Uh, I, we're coming right back. E.J. Anthony, I want to thank you for being with us. You're a patriot, a gentleman, and a scholar. No, thank you for having me. You bet. Folks, don't go anywhere. Coming right back. Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to chime in that way, our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And 
there has been a uh, several things that are happening uh, all over the country, but one of the things that we've kept our finger on the pulse of has been the proliferation of moms that are separating from lots of different entities and joining together like Voltron, you know, which is an old TV show, and, and, and coming together as one to, to fight for liberty. And you've got groups out there like Moms for America, Moms for Liberty, and, and so many others. And they're continuing to organize all over the place. And you've got two uh, assemblymen in New Jersey that recently announced the Moms for Liberty Coalition uh, of candidates that are running for statewide office. And I also want to touch on this. I also want to touch on the latest into the criminal investigation into United States Senator Bob Menendez, because Senator Menendez uh, was under criminal investigation a while back, and then all of a sudden um, he wasn't, and his, his doctor friend, Solomon Melgen ended up going to jail. Uh, but now there's a new investigation. This is not the one from a few years back where Senator Menendez is under investigation again. So uh, the Department of Justice is weighing what type of charges, if any, they're going to you know put against Senator Menendez following the criminal probe into gifts uh, to his wife is apparently what uh, is going on here. This is being reported by the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Fox News, and uh, and others. So I want to get into to this story and then uh, pivot to the other story about the um, activists and the Moms for Liberty Coalition of Candidates in, in New Jersey. But being that Senator Menendez is the senator representing New Jersey, I felt it would only be appropriate to bring in a, a critic of his uh, who is a state legislator in New Jersey, Assemblyman Bob Auth. Welcome, sir. Well, good evening, Rich. Congratulations on the new show and your great success. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And I know there's there's few that know what's going on with this uh, criminal probe into Senator Menendez than you, uh, because I know you follow this stuff and you do a great job for your constituents. So let's let's dive in. I know the Department of Justice is weighing... Uh, potential charges against uh, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez coming from New Jersey, a Democrat from New Jersey, uh, after uh, several years of looking into his dealings with foreign regulators. Now, one of the things that they talked about was uh, a deal he cut with some uh, meat distributors that distributed uh, halal meat and and others. And uh, maybe you could walk us through this a little bit. Well, yes. I mean, um Senator Menendez is no stranger to federal investigations. Let's start by saying that. Uh, in 2013, he was being investigated for renting a, a property over a fair market value that, that was being paid for by uh, federal government grants to a, an organization. So that was his first thing. And he, he skated through that. Then in 2015, uh, you did mention that he had some problems uh, with uh, his friend, Dr. Melgan. He was taking uh, flights on private jets and three-night stays in five-star hotels in Paris and $700,000 in political contributions for him and the Democratic Party. But for all of that, uh, Salman Melgan got, like, $8 million worth of money from Medicare and Medicaid because he was using uh, 
certain eye uh, drops uh, more than than was allowed by by uh, the FDA, and so he was cheating the government. And uh, uh, Bob was okay with it, I guess. So he uh, he he wound up going to court. Uh, the case wound wound up being a mistrial, and um, and then the prosecutors at that point decided not to retry him. However, this case is is a little bit over the top. He has uh, a problem right now with the Southern District of New York uh, because of gifts that were being given to either him or his wife. Uh, Mercedes-Benz, uh, a, a high-end apartment in Washington, D.C., uh, tens of thousands of dollars in, in cash and jewelry. Um, this has caught the eye of the prosecutors, and uh, they're going after him for that. But there is other issues involved here, too. He has gotten himself involved in the Gold Coast of New Jersey that runs from, oh, I would say, uh, Edgewater all the way up to Fort Lee, and some of his friends who are in the construction business um, <clears throat> have run into problems, and, and he's mixed up with that now, too. And that's causing him uh, more grief than I guess he was uh, bargaining for. So uh, how is he involved in this? Um, is it a real estate thing? I know there's several things they're looking at uh, with the what you're talking about with the um, waterfront properties in New Jersey. Yes. So... There's a gentleman named uh, Fred Davies. He's a contractor. He used to own a Mariner's Bank. He had been charged with doing some uh, creative bookkeeping, uh, getting loans from the bank that he owned. Um, <clears throat> he then uh, winds up getting in over his head for a piece of a super fun property that he bought that he wanted to put a huge complex on. They capped the property rather than actually excavating the the contaminated soil to remediate the the proper property properly, and so they capped the property. And he was getting ready to build, and it started to stall and stall. He wound up selling 25 percent of his um, interest in that property to a sheik from Quayar who now they're looking at that at that particular deal as being slightly suspicious. They're not exactly sure how that transpired. So they're looking into that. But this is the, the problem now. They're, they're investigating this. They've uh, um, subpoenaed um, Mayor Sacco from North Bergen, uh, who was part of a piece of legislation that was to prevent overdevelopment of that area, and that bill has sat there idling in the uh, legislature for uh, maybe five or six years now, uh, no movement on it. And it's rather unusual because um, <clears throat> when you have a majority mm -hmm. legislature as Democrats, and Senator Sock was a Democrat, I believe Senator Stack was also on that bill as a, as a prime sponsor, um, and the bill doesn't move, there's, it's kind of odd because they're in power, they can make things move. Now, <clears throat> they said uh, in their defense that uh, 
some of the unions were complaining about the bill, so they were the ones who stalled it, lobbyists for for uh, the uh, uh, union workers, 825, I believe. So there's a, there's a lot of things going on here right now, but uh, uh, apparently um, Senator Menendez is, is, has his finger on the scale in that particular situation as well. <clears throat> Sounds like a lot. So, folks, we're on with the New Jersey Assemblyman, Robert Auth. Um, Bob Auth is uh, keeping his finger on the pulse on what's going on in the criminal investigation at the Bob Menendez. And um, I appreciate it. This is uh, an update you you had initially uh, told us about when this was launched. And uh, I I think uh, it's a very um, underreported story, uh, to say the least. So we're going to continue tugging at that thread. And I also want to get your take on the um, state of affairs with candidates. I know there's some activism going on and the Moms for uh, Liberty um, slate of candidates was recently um, um, announced with you at the helm of it, uh, you know, helping them out. So I want to get into that as well. Plus your calls, folks, 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is New Jersey State Assemblyman Bob Auth, A-U-T-H. And Bob, Mr. Assemblyman, Governor Murphy's recently refused to accept New York City migrants after vowing to make New Jersey a sanctuary state. And I think this is funny because you've got all these overflow uh, of of immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants that are taking over New York City. You've got Mayor Eric Adams that is up in arms. He's waving the white flag. He's saying, ya, basta. He can't handle it anymore. And now Phil Murphy's saying, uh-uh-uh, we're not doing it here. You're not, we're not going to let you use the Atlantic City Airport. We're not going to allow any of this stuff. And no thank you to the Biden administration who's suggesting what it is. Um, I have a quote from him. He says, I don't see any scenario. This is Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey. I don't see any scenario where we're going to be able to take in a program in Atlantic City or, frankly, elsewhere in the state. And that's uh, Murphy on News 12 uh, just last week, right before the weekend. And he already says, we're already seeing folks in New Jersey that have probably swelled into Jersey from New York or other locations. But you need scale and an enormous amount of federal support, resources that go beyond anything we can afford. Putting everything else aside, I just don't see it. I would suspect that it'll continue to be the case. Murphy's comments are remarkable. Uh, in that he's given now this uh, about face, about illegal immigration. Back in 2017, he was all for it, saying we're a sanctuary state. So uh, Assemblyman Bob Off, I want to say, look, kudos to to Governor Murphy for standing up for New Jerseyans. Uh, but, you know, I guess if you're a Democrat, shame on him for not keeping it real with the uh, illegal immigrants. What say you, Mr. Assemblyman? I think he's he's running for president. 
and and he's saying it's very unpopular right now, so he's doing some serious backpedaling. Uh, I saw that same interview that you're referring to, um, and uh, I was pretty shocked to, to hear that too, considering he he declared New Jersey is a sanctuary state. And, and the interesting thing is, I'm surprised the governor from Texas didn't say, "Well, okay, we'll send some buses up to you too." I mean, he was <laughs> sending them up to Mar- Martha's, Martha's Vineyard and to. Uh, New York City to Mayor Adams, but uh, so far, I guess uh, Governor Murphy has has been unscathed. Now, whether or not he went in and did some quiet negotiating with the Biden administration, I do not know. But uh, they have put a uh, ground zero on at the Atlantic City Airport and in that area, and uh, we that remains to be seen. We haven't seen any buses coming yet, but we don't know. What do you think he should do? Do you think he should uh, stick to his guns as he's announcing here? Do you think there should be some sort of meet-in-the-middle approach? What's your thought? Well, hey, hey, everybody feels empathy for someone who's uh, uh, seeking asylum for legitimate reasons. But right now, New Jersey's economy is not that strong. We have people that are suffering from about a 25% inflation rate that it's, it's killing them every time they go to the supermarket, every time they go to the gas pump. Um, jobs are out there. People are working, but they have to work it. additional jobs just to cover the cost of the inflation. It's that extra tax that people don't see um, on a on a ledger, but it's they see it coming out of their wallet. I think it would be uh, totally inappropriate for us to do that right now in New Jersey. Um, it's, it's, a, it's incumbent upon the governor, the executive branch, and the legislature to say, hey, uh, we have to take care of the people that are here currently, the people that are here legally, even the people that are here with green cards. I mean, they're here legally. Uh, we have a lot of people in New Jersey like that. Those people come first before we say, hey, we're going to take care of people that are just running through the border unabated by border security, no, no checks, no, no, no investigation of any possible diseases or anything like that, and any uh, nefarious uh, reasons for crossing the border, we, we have no idea. We don't need that in New Jersey right now. 100%. And I want to shift gears with you quickly to uh, this um, announcement of candidates on the Moms for Liberty ticket. Tell us what's going on. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I think the mothers in New Jersey are forced to be reckoned with. Uh, I, I think it's really uh, a serious overreach on part of the Democratic legislature to think that they can go in and tell parents uh, how their kids are going to be handled if they have these transitioning issues, that they're going to be left out of the picture, that they're not going to be told about it, that they, they will sneak uh, hormone treatments to the child without the parent's knowledge. It's all of these things are I mean, totally outrageous. Tomorrow, um, I believe that there's going to be a huge turnout of parents down at the border to state board of education meeting in Trenton. Uh, they're going to meet in mass to uh, let that group know firsthand that they want a repeal of the, of the laws that they just passed, uh, that the governor sanctioned, and that Matt Platkin is suing, he's suing three towns in New Jersey because they're not abiding by the edict from the governor's office, which is to not let parents know if their children are having uh, issues with their sexuality. It's, it's insane. 
and I, that's going to come back and bite them. It's uh, there are about five cohorts in New Jersey right now that feel aggrieved. Moms are are one of them, but there are parents also who are upset about mandatory vaccinations. You know, of course, that Rutgers is not letting students into their college unless they're vaccinated vaccinated for COVID. This is an outrage. Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. Folks, we're on with uh, New Jersey State Assemblyman Bob Auth discussing everything under the sun that's going on in New Jersey. And there's quite a little bit, uh, quite a lot of it of going on. And I think it's similar to what you're facing in other uh, blue bastions across the country. Stick with us. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Across America to the liberty loving Latino Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez and our guest, New Jersey State Assemblyman Bob Auth. And Bob Auth, we just talked about Governor Phil Murphy potentially throwing his hat into the ring for President of the United States. What's your overall thought on 2024? That included. I don't think President uh, Biden will run again. He may want to, but uh, he's going to, the polls are going to be so bad for him uh, that the party will determine that he's not a viable candidate and they'll replace him with somebody else. And they'll let the convention process do that. Any uh, any thoughts on who it might be? um, Gavin Newsom, of course, is in there. I think Governor Murphy, believe it or not, um, even in polls in New Jersey, show him as being a likability. Uh, he's like at 57% likability, believe it or not. It was crazy. I saw that recently. But what he has that most of the Democrat candidates don't have, he's a Goldman Sachs guy. He's a, he's a, he's a capitalist. He's not a, a socialist or a communist, or whatever these guys are, most of them. So he has a certain um, uh, legitimacy in and amongst the regular rank-and-file Democrat. It's somebody that they could relate to to a degree. Additionally, he I mean, he's given some of the, the progressive issues to the progressives that they wanted, probably not enough. But they'll take him rather than somebody who mm-hmm. can't win or somebody who would lose to Trump. And I think that... In reality, while people don't look at him, he could be he could be the sleeper and sneak through and run right through the middle and, and wind mm-hmm. up being their candidate. I really do. I, I think he has the potential. Well, let's to see do what that. happens. Folks, Assemblyman Bob Auth is our guest. Uh, Assemblyman, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, you're a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot. Godspeed to you, sir. Thanks for staying up late with us. Ah, thank you for having me, Rich. You got it, brother. Talk to you soon. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. It's live and it's national open phones across america is coming up now get your calls in now 833-482-5337 833-4valdez don't go anywhere coming right back
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you on this Tuesday evening. We're back from our little break for Labor Day, and uh, there's no shortage of, of news, right? I mean, there's there's not a ton of um, Washington news because they don't come back for a couple of days in Washington. And it's a nice break when you don't have to hear from the politicians and you get to look at some of the rest of the things that are happening in the world. And one of the stories that that's caught my eye tonight was this one. The um, man that has called 911 on himself, apparently he's a drunk driver that dialed 911 to rat himself out. Listen to this audio. It's amazing. 911, where is your emergency? Um, I'm on Highway 77 going north, and there is somebody that is on the wrong side of the road. And then what, uh, did you see what color or type of vehicle it was? No, he had his brights on, man. He almost okay. ran me off the road. Which lane, which direction is he in, north or south? I am going, I am going northbound on 77. He was going southbound. I am on the east lane. He was on the west lane. Okay. You, uh, could you tell if it was a car, truck, or SUV or anything? It looked like it looked like a truck. Okay. But that dude, he almost hit me, so I was like, holy <laughs> There you go. Now, this is a suspected drunken driver who accidentally called Nebraska law enforcement on himself, uh, leading to his arrest. Again, this is a, a piece in CNN. It's... It, and what's fascinating here is he was the one that was on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> you can't make this up. The man called 911 to report another driver who he thought was driving on the wrong side of the road. According to a Facebook post from the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office, the Sheriff's Office on Thursday released the video of the incident, which actually happened in March, along with the audio of the 911 call and uh, 911, excuse me. And when uh, authorities arrived, it became clear to the caller himself that he was on the wrong side of the road as he was intoxicated. Uh, of course, you heard him say, I'm on Highway 77. And, and you got to just think, uh, how messed up do you have to be? Well, the um, driver had a blood alcohol content uh, limit that was a number that was twice the legal limit. And that's according to the sheriff's office. Uh, thankfully, they were able to arrest the guy before anybody was seriously hurt. But just imagine that, right? You're just sauced and tossed, hammered out of your mind. And again, who drives like that, right? You know, if I'm drinking, I'm, how far are you that, you you know, if you're like at a wedding or something, you're usually close to the hotel. If you're going out with your friends, take an Uber. It's really not that hard, right? You Lyft, Uber, there's so many different uh, rideshare apps. I think everybody has that one sober friend who doesn't really drink anyway. I mean, just figure out how to carpool. It's 2023. Like, we know so much better right now, right? I can't believe this happened, but it's not the only incident. I mean, somebody took a page out of the uh, the playbook of being safe and decided, you know what? If I am going to get drunk, I'm going to have somebody sober drive. The problem with this particular story 
is that the driver had his 10-year-old driving. So this 10-year-old in Arizona was caught speeding in the car as his father sat in the passenger seat drunk. That's according to a police report. This Arizona dad was arrested after he was found in the passenger seat of his vehicle with his 10-year-old son driving and speeding. Uh, His name, Alvaro Obando Alvarez, 49 years old. He was charged with aggravated DUI, child abuse, and child endangerment, according to um, the Fox affiliate in Phoenix. He was also charged with possession of an open container of alcohol and unlawfully permitting a minor to drive. How about that? He was booked into into jail, and uh, again, his kid was speeding. I, I listen. Nobody ever let me drive at that age. I, I can't imagine how. Uh, I mean, I, I guess when you're when you're sauce tossed and out of your mind, you can pretty much come up with anything. But if you have a crazy story about you know anything like this, you can change your name if you want. I just want to hear the crazy stories because it's never occurred to me to ask my ten year old to say, "Hey, listen." Uh, Just take over. Just press the gas. Keep the wheel straight. You know what to do, kid. (laughs) I'm going to be over here finishing my six-pack. Absolute insanity. Folks, I want to get to your calls uh, on this topic and everything else we've discussed tonight. Uh, Obviously, we've talked about uh, the BRICS coalition. We've talked about uh, immigration. And we've talked about the economy and the the um, jobs report and so much more. So I want to get into all of that stuff with you guys. The phone number 833-482-5337. And I want to start with, uh, let's see here, Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Let's go to Frank. Frank, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Does the BRICS money already exist? And if it does, what's to prevent Americans from getting the BRICS money and using that instead of dollars? Because apparently it's much safer and it won't inflate because it's not fiat money. Great point. It does not exist yet. They're, they're in talks to build this coalition, and right now they're just trying to pool their resources to have enough of, uh, you know, I guess a real rival to the G20 nations and eventually, um, you know, uh, more, more power to, to go up against the G7. And they want, you know, the, the rumor is that they're trying to create multiple currencies. Uh, so while they're a coalition and they're, you know, pooling influence, I don't believe that they have uh, come up with a plan to create one type of uh, digital currency that's some sort of crypto that's backed by precious metals, which is what the speculation is. Uh, it, it doesn't exist yet. And many say it would never, it may never exist because it would be very difficult to get China on board with everybody else um, having their own type of thing that China would want to kind of run the show here and say, hey, we've created this thing. And we're going to uh, allow you guys to partner with us. So it won't be kind of like the dollar, but that's that's the uh, the goal. And for many, that's the the fear, right? The trepidation comes from uh, exactly that, that if you have this thing where they can try to replace the world currency. And again, we uh, we discussed this last week where there was some uh, period of time where the British pound re- replaced the dollar and uh, and then the dollar came back and whatnot as the world's reserve currency. So people were trading in pounds. And it, it's, it's not um, unprecedented for the dollar to be replaced as the world reserve currency. However, I feel that's a huge black eye, and, and I agree with you. Uh, if that's the case, then people are going to say, listen, I want that thing, right? And this is why so many people like Bitcoin. So I think it's, um, 
it's a conversation that the United States has to have where we say, you know what, if we're constantly under threat from these um, BRICS nations, whether they're trying to entice um, partners of America or partners internationally to say, look, you guys have been dealing with the dollar forever. You know the dollar is, is, is fiat. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't hold its value. There's a ton of inflation. These people don't know what they're doing. We've got this thing that we're working on, and uh, you should roll with us. I think more and more, especially small nations, are going to be on board with uh, Brazil and Russia and India and and uh, China, South America, excuse me, South Africa, et cetera, uh, because I think it, it makes sense, right? Who doesn't want the safest bet? And I think that's why the United States really has to take a strong look and go back to a gold standard so that we'll strengthen the dollar and, again, reposition ourselves as the leaders in the global marketplace, in particular with with our monetary ability and, and the world reserve currency. I just don't know that uh, that's going to come out of this particular administration. And uh, as long as they continue to lollygag and not figure out what, they, what they're not figuring out, we're, we're going to be in a really tough spot. But I agree with you, Frank. Uh, it would it, it makes like the most sense in the world for us to to get behind something like that, not behind bricks, but behind uh, a return to our own gold standard to position ourselves as the global leader once again. The big question is would the U.S. government uh, permit it? Because uh, there's a rumor that Gaddafi in Libya and Saddam Hussein in Iraq were taken out by the U.S. government simply because they were trying to pull something like that. Excellent point. And, and I, I, I've heard that as well. I have no proof um, to the contrary or, or in favor of it. But I can say it, it would be a threat to the United States if you were doing something like this. Uh, the, the nations that are in BRICS are obviously way too big for us to go and start assassinating leaders. So I think there is a legitimate um, cause for concern. But for me, it's really a, a cause for a conversation. Again, America is still the, the big guy on the block. And if they played their cards right... Uh, i.e. the Biden administration, we'd be in way better shape, right? Control inflation, don't go into inflation, switch back to a gold standard. I think if Biden did those things, he'd be reelected in a landslide. The problem is he just seems to not want to entertain any of that. Now, I think there's a lot on the Republican side that would love a return back to the gold standard uh, or some sort of gold standard, uh, even if it's not the one that we had prior to 69, but something where there's precious metals backing it and it's a finite resource that maintains value. I think that would be wondrous for our economy, and it would it would solidify us. I just don't know if it's going to happen, and I agree with you. If somebody's negotiating for the United States to um, secretly join BRICS but not be a public part of BRICS, I, I would think that that is uh, problematic, to say the least. Uh, it, I agree with you. I don't know if it, it would uh, qualify as treason, but it would definitely qualify as extremely stupid and anti-American, in my in my opinion, if you disagree with me, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WCBC. And folks, we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. We got calls from Pennsylvania, Michigan, Maine, and more coming in right now, New York City. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. So in addition to the guy that called the cops on himself for driving on the wrong side of the road because he was hammered, he was drunk out of his mind, and uh, eventually admitted, yeah, yeah, it was me, and got arrested. You got the dad who had his 10-year-old son driving the car while he was finishing off his drink in the passenger seat. Well, now get this one. You've got bars in Greece are collecting unfinished drinks and selling them back to other tourists, according to officials. Several bars in a popular Greek party town were shut down for collecting unfinished drinks and selling them back to other tourists. Unreal. Bars in Kavos on the island of uh, Corfu in Greece were recently raided by the Independent Public Revenue Authority, whose agents suspected the establishment of tax evasion and selling alcohol that had been smuggled or tampered with. The operation was carried out by the AADE tax and customs auditors and local police officers uh, last week. And the authorities visited the part uh, the party area of the town to check if the establishments there had formally issued a a, uh, a register of their transactions to see if the alcohol was served and clean according to their laws. They found that 26 catering businesses did not issue 40,000 receipts valuing almost 300K. But... What they worried about more for tourists was the agents discovered seven catering establishments were serving drinks that did not have lot number markings, likely meaning the drinks were smuggled or illegal and possibly adulterated. Ooh, tampering with the drinks. Well, eight samples from these bars were taken and sent to the county sheriff's office or the, the county's state general chemistry office to be tested. And... This is interesting. The um, the local bars explain that it's these local uh, establishments and bartenders who are collecting unfinished drinks in canisters and they save them in barrels to be served again to other customers as shots. Unreal. I've never heard of such a thing. I've heard of like filling the name brand whiskey with some off brand whiskey and, you know, trying to pass it off. I've never heard of this. Anyway, these businesses have been closed for 48 hours as part of their punishment, and they were fined. And again, this is um, part of this investigation that they put into this. So uh, again, if you ever worked at a bar and you got a story like this, I'd love to hear it. Plus, we're going to get to your calls on everything else. Uh, Let's hit the phones on this one. Let's go to, let's see, where were we? Let us go to... Who is it here? Next one up. Tom, Washington, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Go right ahead. Hello, sir. I'm actually in New Eagle, PA, Washington County. Have you ever heard of the place? I haven't, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're joining the program. And let me ask you, uh, have you ever heard of this uh, collecting used drinks, like half-consumed half, half, half uh, shots and, and being recycled to be sold to more people? 
Well, I'm sure I'm an ex-practical nurse from Pittsburgh. I'm sure that's a health hazard in some way, but I don't drink. I don't touch a drop of it. You talk about the local police. They just went past the house, but they can't suppress my voice, right, my third, my First Amendment of speech. But, you know, my friend's a CI for the regional police confidential informant, and here they said in down to the, um, you know, on a Bearcat scanner, the Pittsburgh police is call letters are KGB, like the German police. Yeah. Papers, papers, please, papers. And, you, you know, Tom, it's it's an interesting thing when you have uh, that level. I think so many of us support law enforcement and we, we never want to see, um, you know, people ridicule or, or insult the police. But but sometimes you get these crazy stories that come out of there and, you know, you, they try to get the bad apple to spoil the bunch. And lamentably, it's it's one of those things where. Uh, you, you never want that to be the standard, but what's a cop to do, right? You got to do your job and cops, let's just say they're pulling over this person who is a dad and has their 10 year old in the driver's seat. It, it just makes you think, man, this is a tough situation. Obviously they have to do what's right to protect the kid, to protect the public. So uh, always kudos to the cops, but every now and again, they, they do get a bad rap and sometimes deservedly so. And when it is, we got to call it out as such. Tom, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Let's go to Jennifer. She's in McKenzie, Tennessee on WCMT. Jennifer, what do you think about these, um, these, these, uh, this kid who's 10 years old, he's driving his drunk dad around. I wanted to tell you that my parents, they were not drunks insisted that we learn to drive a car. I was 10. My brother was eight. Stick shift in case they needed help of some right. kind. Get to a doctor, get to the fire station, something like that. And was so that in Tennessee as well, or where were you growing up? No, no. I grew up in Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Okay. And that's well, yeah, look, I get teaching your kids to drive early. That that part makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, you know, a lot of people who have rural property. I, my family has a farm up in Pennsylvania, and it's 13 acres. So, you know, my niece has been driving for quite a while on the property, uh, but never the designated driver for my brother or anybody in the family because, you know, we were sauced and tossed. But, Jennifer, kudos to you for starting uh, being on the road young. Uh, I think that's a... Uh, it's a testament to one's um, character, and it's a testament to parenting, I think, done the right way. Teach your kids to do the right thing, and just make sure you do it safely, right? Teach them how to do dangerous things carefully. Anyway, Jennifer, thank you for your call. Big shout-out to Mackenzie, Tennessee, WCMT. Your calls and more coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. All the time. America at night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And there's a clip that I saw on social media over the weekend. It's an older clip, but it's relevant as ever. And uh, this young uh, Asian man is speaking with a news reporter. And there's some, you know, funny music in the background. But listen to what he says about the Chinese credit score system. And again, this is part of what the ESG movement is all about, of bringing a very similar system to the United States. 
where corporations are given a score. And it's my opinion that once that becomes normalized, people will soon be given a score and may be limited if the government has this type of power, especially if they bring in what they call a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, where they can say, well, look, you know, you haven't really, uh, you've overdid your your flights this year. You've been to too many cities and your carbon footprint has exceeded what the government feels you should have. Therefore, you're not going to be allowed to fly anymore. You're going to have to figure out a different way to get to where you want to get. Maybe an electric train or, you know, you can only buy an electric car and we're going to outlaw gas stoves and then we're going to outlaw gas cars and we're going to outlaw gas everything. And it's a very slippery slope where whatever happens to the free market, the free economy, liberty, where did all that go? Listen to this is a social credit score system. If you go to China, they're piloting it uh, a few years ago in Shenzhen. So I lived overseas. If you go to Shenzhen, back in 2017, they already had facial recognition cameras there. So if you jaywalked in Shenzhen, they would immediately detect that and send you a notification and they would deduct money from your, what they call WeChat account. They, they use two main apps, WeChat and Alipay. So you can actually deduct your money directly from your account. This is four years ago, so this is not like some sort of conspiracy theory. It's not something that's going to happen 10 years into the future. This happened pre-corona in China. And so this system in China that exists is extremely advanced. They can detect if it's a man or a woman. They can detect, they can guess your age. They can detect what kind of car model it is, who the manufacturer is. This is a sort of technology that we see in all these dystopian sort of films and whatever. And people keep putting it off and thinking that this is something that's going to happen later in my kid's lifetime or my grandkids. It's already here. And if this gets implemented anywhere, especially in a Western nation, it's not going away. And they're going to ask if you're gay. They're going to be asking if you ate three pizzas this week because it's unhealthy. If you buy certain books in certain countries, your country doesn't like you. will lose points in the social credit score system. So this is already the reality of the world in certain places. This is the reality of the world in certain places, and it might become the reality in the United States, lest we wake up and smell the coffee and the uh, espresso and the cafe con leche while you're at it, and really, you know, uh, hold people accountable. And if we can't hold them accountable, we have to replace them at the ballot box, because this is something that would be detrimental for the free market system that we have, for the liberty that we're afforded by God and um, enumerated in our Constitution. And it's a, it's a scary prospect, and I feel like we're edging closer to it every day. And some people love it because it's done in the name of climate, climate change, climate protection, whatever you want to call it. And China's led the way on this, and China leads the way on a lot of things. I'm looking at this piece here uh, in the New York Post. Chinese nationals have snuck onto sensitive U.S. sites at least 100 times. This is uh, sparking fears of spying. This is according to a report. Listen to that. A hundred times in recent years, Chinese spies or Chinese nationals have snuck onto U.S. military bases, you know, posing as tourists or whatever and whatnot. Some of the most alarming cases include uh, crossing into the United States into a missile range in New Mexico and scuba divers swimming near a rocket launcher, a rocket launch site near um, Cape Burnett, uh, I can talk, I swear I can, Cape Canaveral Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And some have used drones to take detailed aerial footage of sensitive military sites. Of course, we know about the famous um, weather balloon, quote-unquote weather balloon, 
And the Pentagon has confirmed cases of people speeding through security checkpoints. So what's going on? If we know it's happening, why aren't we paying better attention to this? What is happening? Because so many of these would-be intruders claim to be confused tourists. They're like, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Don't speak English, right? They don't say it like that. But that's how my dad would have said it. But uh, I think this whole thing is out of control. And, uh, you know, they stay at bases that have hotels on them. They could stay in the hotel to have more access to be closer. So clearly it's something we know about because the New York Post is reporting on it. Why aren't we taking action, right? Why are we allowing such a thing to happen? And I guess the argument is, is such a thing a bad thing? If someone is a Chinese national, should they be precluded from being in these uh, areas? I would say, oh, hell yeah, we should keep them away at all costs because you never know where their loyalty lies. And on paper, it doesn't belong to the United States. So I want to get your thoughts on that as well as anything else we've discussed tonight. Let's go to Kim. She's in Shields, Michigan. Uh, Kim, uh, listening on KDKA Online. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is I don't know how that 10-year-old kid saw over the steering wheel unless he was standing in the seat or something because mm. I have trouble seeing over the steering right. wheel because I'm yeah. really short. I don't but, know how tall this kid about. was, but, but it is a crazy story. Now, what do you think about these Chinese tourists that are uh, ending up on bases crossing security checkpoints, uh, quote-unquote, accidentally posing as tourists? I think they were doing exactly what we thought they were doing. They were spying. And they can play all that, um, no-speak-English stuff. If Chinese nationals go on to a base or race like they race through um, a gate, I think some got shot. I think there were three of them in a car you know, it, it's fine. But um, what I called about was what mm-hmm. EJ was talking about. Oh, about yes. The BLS changing the Bureau of Labor Statistics, changing the um, jobs numbers every right, month. after the fact. Sure. Yeah. Um, the Biden freak show administration didn't think this up on their own because they don't have an original idea. They got this from the Obama administration. They were doing stuff. If, if I remember right, it's been a long time, but I think they were doing this every month, too. They come out with these good numbers and then they wouldn't even release it. It would come out through some economic group that looked into it, you know. But it's tinkering with the numbers to make themselves look good. And like EJ said, um, what's the statistical odds of of six months in a row, the numbers, like they put out oh, 187,000 new jobs. Then a couple months later, it comes out that it was less than 100,000. What's the odds of that happening six months in a row? And mm-hmm. um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, um, related to this is I think once a Republican gets a conservative gets back in the White House, we need to do the latest census over again because they took more than a year and a half to come out with the final numbers. It started during President Trump's administration, and then they everybody's saying, where's the census numbers? I bet you they tinkered with that, too. Well, I mean, throw an extra 100,000 people in Detroit and take away a thousand from Shields. You know what I mean? It'd be so easy to do, you know? 
Right. Well, Kim, as far as with the Obama administration, I know that the uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget, Mick Mulvaney, he had made some similar claims saying that the Obama administration had done that in years prior, the um, adjustment uh, of of these numbers after the fact that they were reported. However, uh, they they were never able to you know come up with any proof. But all that being said, we know what's happening with the Biden administration. We've heard how they're cooking the books, so to speak, and it's it's absolute crazy. And it makes sense when you talk to people and everybody's talking about how you know they're not doing great. You know, you got a handful of people that might be getting promotions at work, maybe a little more, getting a better job. But it's a small percentage, at least from my anecdotal experiences, the majority of people are just having to, um, you know, trudge through this. And uh, and that's where we are. So I, uh, I I think you're you're right that they should not be adjusting these numbers after the fact. That sounds like a like like a scam to me. Right. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're promising people one thing and it's totally something else. So uh, I think you're spot on in so much as uh, your analysis on on that being problematic. Absolutely. What's the probability? I think something uh, our guest, economist E.J. Anthony mentioned was that um, it wasn't statistically probable when he looked at it. So uh, I take his word for it. And I think not good, not good at all. No bueno. Thank you, Kim in Shields, Michigan, for the call. We're coming to the rest of your calls straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, black Cuban guy, uh, who's the leader of this white supremacist group, uh, he was sentenced to 22 years over his involvement in the January 6th riot. The problem was Tarrio was not even in D.C. at the time of the riot. I think he'd been arrested the day before. But uh, Enrique Tarrio, known as the uh, chairman of the Proud Boys, sentenced to 22 years in jail over seditious conspiracy in connection to the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. This is now the longest sentence handed down to any January 6th defendant. Now, prosecutors were trying to get Tario sentenced to 33 years in federal prison. Uh, Tario's co-defendants, Zachary Rell, Joe Biggs, and Ethan Nordine, uh, all of whom were Proud Boy affiliates, all received anywhere between 15 and 18 years in prison. Pretty scary stuff. Absolute insanity. Uh, the It's just scary to me that this is happening when this guy wasn't even there, right? So I guess they're going to seize the ringleader. He caused this to happen, just like they're doing to Trump. 
because he was, you know, did you go to the Capitol? I did not go to the Oh, well, then it's your fault. Unbelievable. Anyway, let's hit the phones and get your opinions on this. Let's go to Allison in Portland, Maine, WLOB. Go right ahead. Hi, Ola. Um, yeah, I was just going to talk about that. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, uh, it, this is pretty much a rhetorical question, uh, but how many, uh, you know, what's, what's happened with the Proud Boys people, and I'm not a fan of the Proud Boys. I don't know much about them. I get the feeling they wouldn't like me much, but that's irrelevant. Um, but, you know, th- a lot of people there, not just the Proud Boys, have been getting these insane sentences. And, and so how many people who were the leaders of Antifa and Black Lives Matter and the organizer of those riots three years ago and the participants of those riots three years ago, how many of them have gotten really have serious prosecution and heavy sentences? Uh, can I, do you know of any? <laughs> well, the, the um, I forget his name right now, but he was the leader of the uh, Oath Keepers. Uh, he got a crazy sentence as well for uh, being convicted of seditious conspiracy. I don't think he got this long of a sentence because this seems to be the longest one. But he was there, at least on the premises. And I'm not saying he did it or that I support that he's in prison or anything like that. I'm just saying at least the one guy that they charged was there. Um, and, and and he got 18 years. The, the, the guy that they charged today wasn't even there. And I understand that they, they were, you know, at a hotel not too far from D.C., I think in, in Arlington uh, or some other, you know, close to D.C. area and had, you know, some guns with them and whatnot. And again, lots of people travel with guns. There's a whole way to travel with guns. that's totally lawful and legal. Uh, but some people maybe, you know, didn't do that. I, I don't remember all the details of it, but I can tell you, I think this is extraordinarily uh, excessive. Right. I mean. How does how does this how does this happen when you're not even in town and you get a a uh, and again if, if they could prove that and I guess they did in court um, because they had a very favorable uh, jury pool this is what you get this is the result a guy that wasn't even there was arrested the day before and uh, for grabbing a LGBTQ or a BLM flag off of a church and he wasn't even there. And he's got 22 years. Pretty pretty hefty, in my opinion, Allison. But I just wanted to bring up something. I'm wondering, well, because the crime situation is getting really bad across the country. Anyway, I, I used to live in L.A., and I've got a good friend there who's been there her whole life. I've known her for 40 years. and there was, She's not in the best neighborhood in L.A., who is except for super rich people. Uh, but she's not in a terrible neighborhood either. And um, there was a murder right across the street from her place, you know, from her condo. And... Um, it's something to do with drugs that hasn't quite been figured out yet, and, and they haven't, you know, solved it or anything. And it's just, it's getting really bad. I mean, she tells me she's even, and she's a pretty tough chick, but she's changing a bit the way she dresses at night and, you know, and where she goes. Hmm. She knows L.A. like crazy. Well, I'll tell you, I think we see a lot of these changes um, just in general with, with you know, with what's going on with the economy is changing people with what's going on with the political, I'm going to call it persecution where people feel like, Oh, I'm going to go to a protest. Nope. Can't go to a protest. Nope. Got to take this off. They might police my speech. I mean, we're just, we're seeing it happen in real time and it's, it's a relatively new concept for so many of us. Thank you, Allison, for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WLOB and everybody in Portland, Maine. And folks, we're coming back. We're going to wrap this thing up. we got a couple more calls that I want to get through before we do the number eight, three, three, four Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, we continue checking in with you guys straight across America. We go to Butte, Montana, KXTL. Let's go to Mary. Mary, you're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. Um, I just was referring to the caller before about the Proud Boys, and I just wanted to let them know that the last one that got, I think, 17 years was in the military. He was in the Marines. And he got hurt uh, by an explosion or something and got head mm. head trauma of some sort. And these Proud Boys are all actually uh, guys that just love America. And it, it was crazy how one just shook a fence and he got 17 years. And nobody mentions who wow. these people are. But these people are military. And I just wanted to mention that they're not bad people. Right. Yeah, and I, I would think when you're arresting the, the leader of the Proud Boys and giving them 22 years and a, a handful of other guys when the idea is that they were there en masse, that there was you know a whole bunch of them, and only a handful of them are getting uh, prosecuted, tells me that this is either you know the government overreaching or you know a couple of bad apples that isn't spoiling the bunch. Now, again, I don't know Mr. Tario. I, I believe he's worked as an FBI informant, and he uh, had to you know, do lots of things. But again, I, I don't know the, the full details of the story, but, but I do know he wasn't there. That part I know, that part's been admitted, and, and that part I think is crazy that you, you could go to jail for seditious conspiracy and, and not be there. And of course, somebody's going to say, well, Rich, how, how, you know, how, how slow are you that you don't realize that conspiracy is exactly that? You don't have to be there. You get people to do it. I do understand the definition of conspiracy. I just... I think it's a real stretch on behalf of the government to charge this guy that way. My, my thoughts. Mary, thank you for your call. Big shout out to Butte, Montana, KXTL. Uh, let us go to Daryl in Hawley, Minnesota on WDAY in Fargo. Daryl, go right ahead very quickly, sir. Yeah, I got a poem for you. It only takes 10 seconds. <laughs> it's, uh, it goes like this. They walked together for it was quite late. Mm-hmm. She stopped and waited as he opened the gate. She wanted to thank him, but she didn't know how, because he was the farmer and she was the cow. <laughs> oh, that's good. Nothing like a little humor to to break up the monotony. Uh, I appreciate that, Daryl. And let me. Oh, I guess I don't have time to do a follow up with you, but I appreciate the call. Big shout out to you and everybody in Hawley, Minnesota, listening on WDAY out of Fargo. Much appreciated, and everybody that called in tonight, I appreciate it. We're going to do this again tomorrow with all the hot news stories of the day, so make sure you don't miss it. And uh, tune in on social media to see who the guests are going to be. I'll tweet that out tomorrow. Folks, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.